Welcome to Acquiring Minds, a podcast about buying businesses. My name is Will Smith. Acquiring an existing business is an awesome opportunity for many entrepreneurs. And on this podcast, I talk to the people who do it. My interview today is with Cedric Siguach. I love what Cedric's done. He wanted financial freedom, and he decided years ago that acquiring a business would be the way he got there. And he did it. In 2015, he bought a translation agency that was doing a million and a half euros annually. And not only that, he's gone on to acquire 11 more translation agencies. And this year, in 2021, he's closing in on 5 million euros in annual revenue, essentially all through acquisition. So that's more than tripling the company in six years through acquisition. This interview is packed with Cedric's tips and philosophy on business acquisition, his story, of course. But one little perspective of his that I'll call out that I thought was cool. He is a, he's French and he lives in Germany and he took a loan from the German government to make his first acquisition. He was just a solo entrepreneur out there, didn't have much savings, really didn't have much money. And so most of the money came from this loan from the German government. And it was a big sum for him. It was an intimidating prospect. But he realized that the fact that this that this loan program existed by the German from the German government, it told him that acquiring a business wasn't overly risky or strange. It was something that the German government actually wanted to see entrepreneurs do. They don't want to see small businesses go out of business when the owner retires. They want younger, dynamic, a new generation of people to come in and inherit or acquire those businesses and keep them going and hopefully grow them. So it that kind of shift in um, or that recognition that the government supports this this path of business, this path of entrepreneurship, acquisition entrepreneurship, allowed him to get a little bit more comfortable with the prospect. And of course, here in the U.S., we have a similar program, the very well known SBA. And so it, that his perspective shifted mine a little bit on the SBA. It can feel awfully lonely out there and daunting to acquire a business, but. Just remember that there's an entire government governmental apparatus at your back that really wants you to do this, really wants you to take this path. So maybe that that will help alleviate some of the um, some of the more intimidating moments. Anyway, that and much more from Cedric Sigwa. Cedric Sigwa, thank you for joining me today on Acquiring Minds. Thank you for inviting me, Will. You acquired Demand Translations, the translations firm in Germany, in 2015. And at the time, that company was doing uh, 1.5 million euros annually. You have since acquired another 11 translations agencies, and you've grown the company by a factor of three. And, and this year, you, you might get it to 5 million, maybe 7 million. So you're, you've grown the, the company revenue rapidly over these last six years. So I want to hear that story. I want to hear the story about the, do a deep dive into your first acquisition, and then also hear how you've used this strategy of acquisition to grow so quickly. So why don't we just begin with your story, your professional situation before you made that first acquisition, and what led you to start looking or wanting to acquire a company in the first place? Okay, okay. 
maybe back to my studies. I'm good in French. I studied in the USA. I studied in, in Germany. So I was actually uh, business studies, very, very international. I started to sell. I was selling footwear. Then I was selling safety footwear. And I was selling furniture. I was in contact with many distributors. And I saw them. I was export manager and I had the opportunity to see a lot of different distributors in a lot of different countries. And some of them were very successful. Um, and I was making money for others. I, I learned to sell and I think I was pretty successful. And I was, I think when I was selling safety footwear, I had a turnover of something 2 million. I added something like 2 million euro additional turnover to the company. And I had my salary and it was not 10% of it. And then the question was, and I think at that time, I, I told me to be successful and to build something for me, for my future, for my retirement, I need to become independent. And then I started to look, uh, we came to Germany about 10 years ago with my family. And at that stage, mm -hmm. I really started to look into acquisition. I really wanted to be, that was my first goal, to be independent. Um, I had different, I was working at a good job. I was a manager of a e-learning company in the industrial French learning company. And I learned, actually, I used this to learn how to manage people, because I think it's important to manage people, how to understand the balance sheets, uh, how to make a company profitable, how that look at these financial aspects. But I was looking, actually, I was looking for companies both in France and in Germany, but there were not a lot of platform. And there are still not a lot of platform, at least in Germany, where the market is maybe a bit more hidden. And mm -hmm. there are two, three platforms. And I was looking, I think every, maybe one time a week, I was looking mm -hmm. there and looking and here around. Um, I was looking for all type of companies. Um, I wanted to go, I wanted to go into B2B. I didn't want to go into B2C because that's not my world. I knew how to sell services to companies, to offer an added value to companies. And that's what I was looking for. And I came into, in 2011, I came into a first company in, and they were doing forest boots, very nice, a niche product, good rentability, only two, three competitors in, uh, in Europe. But that was too late actually for this company. I was, once I started to do the business plan to get the financing, another older person came actually and, uh, and got the deal because he had more capital to take it. This was forest boots, like safety work boots? Yes, safety work boots with a class three for people. Uh, really, really something very interesting. Rubber boots, very something special. Really something special, okay. really interesting. And I'm still in contact okay. with it. Maybe I will take it over. Last week, he called me again and said, yeah, we're, I met him every two years in the exhibitions. And we, we were in contact last, year, last week. Last week, and he told me, oh, now I'm getting 63. I want to sell the company. I said, okay, why not? Why not? I think it's a <laughs> good company. It could be a good strategy, a good diversification. Uh, and this this is the guy that bought it instead of you yes. in 2011? Yes, in 2011. Okay. And now it's exactly okay. nine years. He told me, I think today or it will be nine years that he bought the company. He wants to retire. He finished to pay everything. He finished the LBO. He added some value to the company and he want to he want to sell it to retire. Mm -hmm. So maybe my next, my next baby, we don't know. Uh, but <laughs> back to, okay, I didn't got this one. I didn't got this one. I was looking, looking, and I found actually in a platform, I found the company of, uh, of Mr. Deman that was for sale. 
at that time, actually, I was just divorced, beginning of 2000, just divorced, just separated, uh, moved with my 14-year-old son, so a lot of new, new challenges. But then I say, okay, I change everything. Why not taking over a company? And then I contacted Mr. Beman. I told him, I'm a, I don't have the, the money he was asking. The asking price was, uh, was a million euro. And I didn't have the, I didn't have the money, but. And, and you found this company on one of those platforms. Yes, one of those platforms. And it was a lot of haircut company and small restaurant and this and that. And one good company, interesting in Dusseldorf where I live. So it was, everything was very good. B2B services in Dusseldorf turn over 1.5 million. Cause I think it's also important when you want to get independence. That was my strategy. I didn't want to grow something. I wanted to buy something. Because then from day first, you have to reimburse. Yes, but you can pay your salary. So can you, can you talk about that a little more? You, you didn't want to buy, start something from scratch because there's a period of no revenue when you do that. Exactly, exactly. And I had at that time no money. I think I had some, you know, some, some 40, 50,000 euro, whatever. So it was not enough actually to stay maybe one year, two years that I get some revenue. And it was never in my mind. I have a very big respect for people creating from scratch, starting. I think the risk is very high to fail. But when you take over an existing company, on my opinion, the risk is the financial risk. Of course, you have to take the money. You have to, you have to, to, to get enough, uh, you have to get a loan because most of us cannot take that for, cannot take that directly. But right. the risk is differently from first, from day first, you can pay you a salary because it's the salary of the ex-owner. That's actually instead of flowing for him, flow for you. Mm -hmm. So even, even with a loan, you can pay back the, if the company's profitable enough, you can pay the loan interest down and yourself a salary. It depends, of course, of the valuation of the company, but most of the time, and I know the bank do like this, when, uh, when they take over, they take the result of the company and they take off, if it's a, a single company, they take off a salary of 60, 70,000 of the owner to pay you mm -hmm. because they know that you cannot work for free. Mm -hmm. Basically, they take it off and you get, you get the loan in the next Germany and France most of the time seven years. So you get seven years to, to pay it back and you have enough actually to, to pay you the loan. And that's the reason why I really wanted to buy something and not create something. I'm, I'm not the creator. I'm not the creator. I think you need other skills than the, than the one that I have today. And what were the skills you saw in yourself? Sales, what else? Sales, management, negotiation, because I think you really need to, to negotiate when, because translation is nothing else than, yeah, negotiation. You, you buy, you, you buy and you sell. So you're in the, you're the middleman and you need to offer an added value because if you don't offer an added value, then you're, you don't have your space. So basically we are, we are this middleman. So you need to negotiate with your translator, select the real, uh, the good translator. So it's kind of, yeah, kind of human resource, not really, but kind of human resource, selecting good translators, finding new customer, offer, uh, selling, not only selling translation, but selling, we represent you, we represent our customer outside. If we have a customer that do a brochure to go to a fair, uh, to an exhibition in, uh, Russia, for example, mm -hmm. we are not only translate words, we represent him there. We need to speak his language. We need to understand the type of style, the type of words he wants. And we really represent him there. That's something that we sell, that we uh, 
everything that we do that by demand, we understand our customer, we select the correct translator for them, and we help them to grow their revenue outside. So of course you need okay. to, you, you need to sell it like way, not, not only give me a text, I give you a text, but really offer an added value to your your customer. And that's okay. I think that's one of the skills that uh, that I have and that I develop and that I learn because sales is something that could be intuitive, but you really need to learn and you need to test, to test open questions, closed questions. And once you test it one or two, it works. It's, it works. It really works. You have your, your plan and it works. <laughs> okay. Speaking of plan, let take us back to 2015. So you identified Demon translations. You're talking with Mr. Demon. Um, and he's the, the list price is a million euros. So you negotiate with him to get that price down? Not really. Not really, because I really wanted I really wanted to get independent. I really wanted to get independent. And it was again, it was the chance. The chance of my life, and uh, mm-hmm. maybe now I maybe I can maybe I paid it a bit too much, but whatever. I really wanted to I really wanted to be independent, and it was the chance. It was a chance to grow, to have a you know, to, to to build something. So I didn't really negotiate. I told him I have no money. I need to go to the bank. But through my old the first project I had with the safety boots, I had the contact with the banks, and I I think I did my my business plan in one weekend, and it was only. 18 pages, but I did it in one weekend. It was full of German mistakes. But I went to the bank and I told them, okay, that's here. That's my business plan. That's who I am. But they knew me already. That's the business. That's the business. Why it fits to me? Because I am in the sale in the, in the service industry, because it's B2B, because I really want. And I think the, the bank give the money based on the based on the person. Actually, if they believe that you can do the job, then you may get you may get the loan. And even though you didn't have experience as a translator or in the translations industry, exactly, I did. I have no. I had no experience, and I really thought at the beginning when I first saw it, I saw it was really very little industry. I couldn't imagine that it was so big. Actually, the translation industry is in Germany estimated about one billion euro, mm-hmm. and I really mm-hmm. never thought. I thought everybody speak English. Why do we need to translate? <laughs> it's a bit different. <laughs> yeah. Okay, great. And so, so this company, Demon, and that previous, the Boots company, those were the only two companies that you got serious about. Yes, because they were both of them were in a turnover about one million. All the others were little. I think all all the other that that could that could be interesting for me were on the hidden on the hidden market through brokers and so on. They were not in the open market. They were not in the in the open market. Uh, and again. I think to start to be independent, the goal is not to have to earn less than what you had before. The goal is actually to, to earn more because you take a risk. So I really wanted to have a company at least one million, one and a half million euro turnover with good rentability. And by rentability for our American audience, you mean profitability? I think. Sorry, profitability, uh, good profitability. Um, yeah, to, to, to build on something, to build on something. You need profitability to pay your loan, to invest, to, yes, you, you, you really need. And I'm, I'm a friend of high profitability, of added value. And I think when you offer added value, you deserve your profitability. So the, you were able to, with your 18-page business plan, go to your banker that you already had established a relationship with and get the loan. Can you talk about the terms of the deal with, with the seller, with Mr. Demond? Did you just 
pay him outright or was there a seller note? Can you talk about any of that? Uh, we did. And I know the bank really liked this. We did a uh, seller, seller loan. And it was 25% seller loan based on uh, within four years, I think, and 75% in advance. And I know that the bank, the bank really liked this because it showed that the seller believed that the buyer has possibility, the, the skills to keep the business running at least at at least four years that they get this money back. And the, the bank really like this. And for the for the financing, um, I know in the US you have the same, but in Germany you have some system where the region help you, the state help you, the state actually give a guarantee up to 80% to the bank. And yep. in that case, it costs you, you pay one or one and a half percent per year to the state, but they give you 80% guarantee so that the bank only take a risk of 20%. So the yep, and it helps actually. It helps actually. Uh, I don't know if we have this in, in France, but I know in Germany it helps a lot. And you can go up to 1.2 million euro turnover with their own capital of only 75,000 euro. So it means actually you have a very big leverage uh, leverage offered from the state. So if the state believes in you, then you can get you, you can get this leverage. So I, I think. For entrepreneurs that want to take something over, don't be afraid about the million or whatever about big big money, which is a, which is a lot of money. But then the the state help you because the population is getting older and they know that if young people don't have don't take those those company over, they will disappear with jobs. Because my company had at that time six jobs. If nobody take the company over, the job disappears. So that's yeah. why you have a lot of a uh, lot of states helps, and I think in the U.S. even more. Yeah, and I think that it's like you were saying. Many people don't even consider acquisition because they think, "Oh, I have to have a million dollars, or two million dollars, or three million dollars." Only companies and other rich people acquire companies, not realizing that you can do exactly what you did, which is get a loan that's underwritten by this by the government, essentially, and be able to pay down the loan from the profits of the company. And oh, by the way, be earning a salary that might even be better than the salary that you were getting before. So when you acquired Demand, did, were you able to successfully do that? Were you paying yourself more than you'd been earning before? Um, yes, yes, I was, I was able to do it. But I really, in the, I let all the, com- the money in the company. And I think it's important also to say, because at some stage you see your, you have a big debt, but yeah. money is starting to, uh, you, you start to get liquidity, you start to get cash on your account. And you see sometimes the figures are going higher and are going higher and higher. But till today, I left everything actually on the, I left, I left everything on the, on the account. And I think it's very important to say it's not my money. It's the money of the company. I have to pay it in 2027. So basically, if in 2026, whatever happened, I may lose everything. So I think it's, it was my first goal to have more cash than my debt to feel, to at least have the, the feeling to be free. Right. So if, if all of your clients ran away tomorrow, you still have the cash in the bank where you could pay back the loan. Exactly. I could, essentially. I should cut very fast. I should have cut very fast, but then I could, it's not true because when it starts to going down, then you lose money because you have your employee and so on. But it was my first goal to have at least as much cash. Uh, so I could pay almost everything back almost everything back. So that was the that was the goal. Of course it's a risk actually to take a big loan, but basically if you if you get on if you 
get 10,000, if you get 10,000 in your uh, minus in your credit card, you can get the private bankrupt. So basically, you can get for 10,000, why not getting for a million? <laughs> basically, the risk is, I think it's, it's a financial risk. The, the penalty is the same if, you, if you're in debt, $10,000 or a million dollars, the penalty is the same. Yes. Okay. I will go and I know if it doesn't work, I will be private bankrupt. I will be five, year, five years without credit cards, without loan, without doing nothing. But I think it's part of the game, actually. The states help you, guarantee, give you a lot. But you cannot, actually, you cannot, uh, no risk, no fun, but you cannot, <laughs> have, yes, but you, you cannot have everything you need to know that there is a risk. There is a potentially big risk. But if you think that you're, I think that's maybe a tip that I can give. If you think that you're able to do at least as good as the owner, then mm -hmm. this risk is calculated. If you think that the owner is much better because it's much more technological or much better with talking with customers, I think that's, I wouldn't go. And it happened to me in one uh, translation agency. They were much more, and they are very big customer, and they were much more, much more digitalized. And I think it was, at that stage, not the, the real for me. But it, in most of the... And so you, you walked away from that I walked away. I walked away because I thought it was... I, and again, it, it, was a re, it was a big risk, but in that case, I was afraid that... Maybe in three, in three years, I would say differently because in three years, I would have other skills. But that's yeah. the moment in time. It was not for me. And what did you see, going back to the first acquisition with Demand, what did you see that you could do better than Mr. Demand? Um, he was not here. He was living actually north of Germany and he was never at the office. So I was saying, if I am close to my employee, if I am, uh, if I'm more close to the customer, and he was not doing so much, he was no more operational. Uh, so to be closer to the customer, closer to the employee, I thought that I could do, I could do better. I thought I could do at yeah. least as good. And actually, I think I do, I did even better because I was more fighting, more chasing new customer. Which is what, yeah. which it was not doing at that time. At that time, we went into some uh, some tenders and we got a good, very uh, good, good tender just after I got the company. Since then, we didn't get a lot more, but at least we got this one and we got new. Customers. And by tender, you mean an offer for a new client, a proposal to work for a new client? Yeah, um, uh, a state tender, working for working for the state, where it's mostly actually based on price. And uh, I think my employee did. We did a mistake in the calculation, and basically we were a bit too low. But then, actually, I think it's always the same. Instead of getting crazy, we said, "Okay, we went, we we went too low. How do we do to get the margin?" And through this, I think we learned also. My employee learned also to see that the price was low, but we found a way actually to buy even better. And we made at the end it was a, at the end it was a good deal. But we learned actually through this. Mm -hmm. Excellent. Well, one of the things you were just saying about the financial risk of acquiring a company, one classic way to mitigate that risk is to acquire a company that has a long history so that the revenue that it's generating is, is much more reliable than a young company, of course. So how old was Demand Translations when you acquired it? And were the customers, were the customers, the, the clients also old? Had they been with the company for years? The, the company was created from Mr. Demand in 1998. And we had some customer, we had some customer that were 
one customer was still the first to Mr. Devon told me it was his first customer, was a big international American company, but it was only one department. Um, but yes, we, we had some stable customer for a long time. But I think in, in translation, basically, we have, you have some customer that are happy, but if they don't, if they decide not to go into a new market, uh, then you, you, go, you, you got less. For example, Turkey is a country that we we're doing a lot three years ago, but now because of the, of the situation, Russia is a little bit the same because now the situation is different. Then, yeah. of course, you have less export, then less demand, then less translations. And yeah. that's, uh, so you can have customers that say, okay, no, we decided not to go, or customers that are bought over from an American company that, for example, that already has his own translator. And from one day of the other, you lose the customer. They are happy, but the, they are taking from somebody else that say, no, we don't use demand, we use another company, and then you lose your customer. So I think in the service, you need to always give the service, give the service, give the good service. Yeah, we depend on the export. If tomorrow Germany export much less, and of course we will will suffer, will suffer, and we'll have to find new customer. So it's either you look at the recurring business or you have a sales system. I think it's either or. And if you have both, then you're uh, you're the king. Okay. Okay. Uh, and when you acquired Demon and you had all these ideas and how you could add value where Mr. Demon wasn't, you were going to be in the office, you were going to be local to your employees, you were going to be more sales oriented. Um, so you acquire the business. Was there anything that you learned after you acquired it that you, you know, you discovered a challenge that you hadn't foreseen or you were, you know, you were like, oh my God, you know, I didn't know I was going to have this problem or anything basically negative that occurred after that acquisition? I would say no. I would say no. I really? It was clear. I think it was pretty clear. Mr. Deman told me actually the, the situation. We went into the customer. I spoke with his tax accountant. Uh, there were no, the customer were there. What, there were no contract that has been stopped. There were no customer that went away. But we already had, there, there was already a team of five project managers. So, and I think yeah. that's also important. Uh, it's called uh, in, intuitu personae in Latin. Uh, the goal is to see how dependent is the business to the owner. And I think Deman was, the name was Paul Alexander Deman. Uh, the email was pauldeman.com. But it was not really depending on the owner. Because the customer yeah. were there. We had the team that we still have, actually, most of the project managers are still there. They are still young, they are dynamic, and they are good, and they take care about the customer, and they are motivated, and they want to, to develop the business. So basically, if Deman, Sigoire, whoever, as long as you keep the contact with the customer, that you keep the same strategy, that you keep the same translators, Basically, you keep, if you want to change, you keep the stability. And that's something that I really look when I do new acquisition. I spoke this morning with, a, with, with another person, another transition agency in France, and they got into big trouble because they bought the company and they didn't really realize that it was related to the owner. And then from one day of the other, they, lose, they lost 70% of the business because the business was related to the owner. I had this case in one acquisition, but it was actually the the numbers were very, very much much lower. But with demand, I don't think I found any. There was no, no there was no problem. We, we we refer to that as an absentee owner. 
somebody who's not, or like an absentee landlord is another use of that phrase where somebody owns the building, but they're never there. They're never on site. So in fact, absentee owners can be a great opportunity because if you're going to be a hands-on owner and you're going to be physically in the business, you can add so much value just by that. It's true. I agree with you. And I think that it's important not to be, that, that was always my goal to say I'm the owner, but I don't want to be operative. I want to give also, I have young, young uh, project manager. I think they want, they don't want me to be there to control every detail, to concentrate only on their mistakes. I'm there. If they need me, they come to me. For offers above 3,000 euros, I want that they come to me. But I leave them a lot of, a lot of freedom. Um, mm -hmm. and I think that's more macro management and not micro management. And I think mm -hmm. the older we're more into, into micro and look at everything and who is buying the pen and what did you do? No, I think I leave them a lot of freedom and they appreciate it and they are more responsible and they feel more involved with the company. And I can actually, and I can concentrate. I think I can say it's also important not to work in the business, but on the business. And it's important to leave them do. Well, I think that's a perfect segue because you, I think only with that sort of macro management approach, could you make as many acquisitions as successfully as you have. Sure. So, and, and I mean, yeah, if you, if you were going to really micromanage each of these 11 acquisitions or 12 acquisitions, it just wouldn't scale. So tell us about the acquisitions. When you acquired the first company, Demont, did you anticipate growing this way or, or did, it, did, the, did the idea come a little bit later? Now, the idea was already there because the, the translation market was, still is, but was even more at that time, a very, very uh, fragmented market. Uh, as we said, about 1 billion, uh, estimated 1 billion, but also with internal translation. There are, I think, 3,000, 4,000 translation agencies. A lot, very small, one owner, 100,000, 200,000 uh, euro. And then... Mm -hmm. I saw figures, but I don't have the, the last figures. But in 2008, there were only 40, I think it was only 40 companies, about 1 or 2 million euro turnover. So just to say, there are some big, not a lot, lot in the, a little bit in the middle, and then under 1 million, a lot, a lot, a lot. So a very fragmented market. So when I did my business plan and when I spoke with Mr. Demand about it, it was already it was already actually in my head to say I will grow through acquisition. I will grow through acquisition because I think in B two B in the B two B markets uh, the customers are pretty loyal. They stay actually. They have a supplier. They are happy about the supplier. There's no reason to change. And sometimes it's even more risk for them to change instead of staying with the customer. And as long as they're happy in the translation, as long as you're happy, as long as your subsidiary don't, are happy with the translation, you have no risk, actually. You have no risk and you don't, you don't change. And that's the reason why I say, instead of doing cold calling, trying to chase into new customer, that would tell me, no, I have my suppliers since 20 years. No, I know them forever. I said, those relationships, that's what I buy. Actually, that's the value exactly. of the transition agency. And so the range of acquisitions that you've made, you, you, you refer to some larger, some smaller. Give us a sense of, uh, of, of that uh, across the 11 acquisitions you've done. It was some, um, the smallest was something like 40, 50,000. So it was, but it was only buying actually the, the customership. Yeah. What, what does that look like when you buy somebody? So it's an individual translator who has 50,000, does 50,000 euros a year in business. And so you're just acquiring their list or what are you acquiring? 
Um, individual translator, I don't do because then in that case, I come back to my individual persona. It's very related to him. And then, then I don't do, but it was actually a small one guy that tried to do, that tried to do the business. I think the smallest was one woman. She ran the business for some years and she wanted to change completely differently. Chinese medicine and she was doing next to the translation agency. She was getting the diploma and she said, now I want to stop. I want to start a new life. And she wanted to sell the, sell the company. She was not translating. She was the middleman. So in that case, actually, I can take over and be the middleman. And that okay. was maybe the smallest one. Um, and the other, yeah, the, the, the second biggest one was about a little less than a million euro turnover with three employees. That was the second smallest one? No, no, that was the biggest one. That was the biggest one. Between 50,000 K and there was another with hundreds. There was another... Uh, yeah, something. One time I bought all, all the customer ship. It was about ninety-five thousand euro turnover. That the it was a translator. She was doing translation with translation agencies, and she had the part of direct sales. And she wanted to get these direct sales away. And we took over actually these direct sales. And this one was a little bit actually too related to the owner. I didn't thought, but I didn't. But it was actually too too much related, and I think we lost lot of customer very fast because it was too small. It was only one language in big companies that had 10 language. And of course I said, okay, she has one, I will get the nine other. And the yeah. buyer tell me somebody else has the nine other and they will get the 10. Oh. So it was, <laughs> but it was, you learn, you learn. It was a yeah. learning call. But in all of these acquisitions, big and small, they're always, um, comp- they're always actual companies. You're never buying the individual translator because of what you just discussed. So they're all, even if they're really small, they're still a company where they're acting as the middleman between the client and the translators. Yes, yes, because otherwise it's not my business. Actually, if you have an individual translator, I'm today in contact with individual translators, but it's also a question of price. If they do, let's say, 100,000 or 60, 70,000, it's their salary. So I tell them, okay, but if you stop, then I need a project manager, then I need to buy the translation. For me, at the end, out of the 70,000 turnover, I will have 10, 15. So I can give you maybe 30, 40. And he said, yes, but I earn 60. I said, yes, I earn right. end, But I can only pay you based on the on the profitability of, of what remains. Right. So in that case, actually, it's difficult. And then it's related to the person. And then I don't do. Most of the time. Yeah. And I think now I learned to discover that very fast. Now, sometimes after the first hour, I try to go directly into figures, directly into the organization to, to save time, to save time because otherwise you speak, speak, speak. And So tell, speaking of going into the numbers, so demand was 1.5 million euros. And where is revenue today uh, or projected for this year? And then what are your goals in terms of continued acquisitions? Um, this year, I would like to reach five million through acquisition. It was it was my first my first goal was five million in 2020, but 2020 was a different year. So if I can, we, we all missed our goals in 2020. Yeah, exactly. So I can I can accept that it's not 2020. So it's <laughs> it's 2021. So it will be at least five million with acquisition, and if I can go up to 10 million in 2022, 23, I think that uh, that would be my goal. That would be my goal to go. So from acquiring a company doing 1.5 million euros in 2015 
to potentially 5 million six years later. So that's three times the size of the company and maybe even doubling that the next year or the next. So you're at 10 million euros as your goal for 2022, 2023. I mean, having a 10 million euro company in eight years, uh, that's quite, that's good. That'd be quite an accomplishment. And do you think you keep going after that? Or, I mean, what do you have, do you have an end game or you're just thinking kind of two years and ahead? No, I, today, today, I don't know. Today, I don't know. I think my, my first goal, I think you need goals. You need goals in life. Again, my first goal was to get independence, to have my own business, to grow something. My second goal was to earn more than my father in one month. Maybe stupid, but that was my second goal. To earn more than your father did in in a year in one month? Would no. you say that? No, my father was very successful. He was a very successful uh, director and he learned with 30, 30 something. He had a very good salary. And he told me at only one time, just only one time and stayed in my life, in my head. And that was the goal since I'm maybe 18. The first goal is to earn more than my father. Okay. The <laughs> father, like you do in politics, but... <laughs> <laughs> that was the goal. Is, is your father still around? He's still there. He's still there. Did, and, did uh, you tell him that you had this goal and that you met it? Yes. And that you're now a better businessman than he is? Yeah. And he's happy for him. And if my children do the, do better than me, I'll be very happy. Of course. Very happy. Of course. But then that was, again, that was my first psychological goal. The second one was to get as much cash as my debt. As your debt, yeah. then I feel free after that. And then after... It was a question of opportunity. I think at first were opportunities and now I'm really chasing after them. I'm in contact with brokers. I'm approaching more companies. Before I was approaching maybe five, six, seven, ten per year trying and I was a bit afraid and I didn't know. And now actually it's really, I think since beginning of this year, it's really becoming in the, I would say kind of industrial. That really my strategy is to take over companies and I'm doing it, doing it, doing it. Today I spoke with five or six uh, companies and I'm in contact with brokers. They know what I want, they give me. And basically it's really, that's the reason why you have this, this learning curve at the beginning. And then once you start to grow, then you can create synergies. Today you have 17 employees and we can take the translator from here, from there. We have project manager here that have still free time that we can move. And here I think they have better uh, pricing that we have. So if I take them over, I will make, I will improve my bottom line here for some, whatever, 10, 20,000. So basically it's really starting to play around to see what can I get and you can, you can improve it. You can improve it pretty fast. And there are a lot of opportunities. I think now after COVID, um, Older CEO that we're running every year, I will stop this year, but I make 100,000. I will stop next year, but I make 100,000. They were pushing, pushing, pushing. And with this COVID, they saw actually they had a lot of stress. I, everybody had a lot of stress. And now you yeah. have people, I read this in a, in, a, in a, not only for small companies, but I read that also for bigger companies, people that say, no, now, it, I want to, to. I want to do something else. I want to do something. something so all these, all these owners who were um, old enough to retire, but were just procrastinating or continuing to stay on another year and another year and another year to generate that revenue, COVID has made them say, "No, I, I want to prioritize my retirement or do something else." Or I just now, now is the time to get out of the business and retire. Exactly. That's the feeling I have. That's a feeling. I spoke with some people, and they tell me, "Okay, now, now I'm ready." And since I saw that one or two times and I read that, then 
I think I think it could be true for it could be true for more. And then I yeah. started to I really started to speak to a lot of people. And again, as I always said, I already have the no before I call them. I already have the no, so it can only be can only turn to a yes. Uh, if they say right. no, I don't right. want, and I don't like you, it's okay, it's fine. I, I, they didn't know me. It was still not my company, so the best way, if it's not my company after the call, it's okay. It was not before. But then right. you can turn it into a yes, into a positive. And I think now, since I have a little bit of those experience, I can speak with them and explain them. And even if we, you don't do it now, I give them some advice. I tell them, look, this to do your devaluation could be like this on the market. It's about like that. And I'm in contact with uh, I bought a company at the beginning of this year. I was in contact with the owners in 2016, April 2016. And we're speaking every six months, every year. And we didn't agree on the price and we didn't agree on the strategy, but we like each other. We like each other. And at one stage I said, okay, now I do you an offer and say, okay, give it to you. And the deal was done with it. I think two months it was done. It was done. You met in 2016, and when did you actually do the deal? January 2021. The January of this year. Okay. Yeah, we discuss, discuss, <laughs> discuss, and then we follow, and then say, okay, now I'm ready. And he had another activity that he bought, and he was less present in the business. And I say, okay, now now it's time. And again, after we did it very fast, and I'm in contact with people and I get to know them they were some years ago they were playing golf they were playing this and that and now after five six years you know I have more gray hairs than they have to <laughs> sure okay and anything that you might recommend to the Cedric of 2014 2015 um, I mean it seems like your path has gone really well so maybe you <laughs> maybe there's you didn't do anything wrong but maybe there maybe you did what what, what would you say to your your younger self mm, I think the family need to the family need to to be there. At that time, I was separated, so basically, I didn't have. But I worked a lot, a lot, a lot. So I think uh, if I would have a wife, I was separated. But I think it's very important to bring the family with because it's a risk. You take a risk, you take a loan for a long time, and you really need to be supported from from your family. I went to the office on the on the weekend to finish this to prepare. So you, the family need to be uh, to be following you. And, and when you made that acquisition, it was you and your 14-year-old son? No, because no, it was only me, my, my son, my son actually. But I was, I was living and I'm still living with my son. So I don't think I, most of the time, it's, uh, most of the time the children stay with the mother. And actually right. one, the, the oldest son decided to come with me. So I had okay. a takeover company to go there and to take care about a 14, 13 year old son to so come back, come back early, maybe work after when he's already, when he's already sleeping. Yeah. Uh, so it, it was not easy to take over a company, do this, and then take care about the 14 year old. And that was, uh, that was difficult. So I say, be sure that your family is following you. Uh, yeah. That's what I would say. And then, um, get some help, get some help before go to the chamber of commerce. Um, and, and be sure, I was not sure at that time that now if I, if I would have known before, I think I would have done even before uh, because there is possibility to get help from the state to get the guarantee. If they believe in you, you will get the money. You see that something on, you, you see that on TV, but it's true. It's true. If they believe in you, you can get a high leverage because they are looking for young, dynamic people taking over company that uh, we have the owner actually want to sell or want to want to go out. So I would say that maybe the tip, uh, 
Yes, take your family with. Don't be afraid. Uh, don't be afraid of the money. And again, if you think that you can do at least as good as the owner, try to do understand and at least as good. If you think that it's better than you for any reason, don't go. Don't go. Yeah. But if you think that you can improve, if you see development that you uh, that that you can add added value that you can offer, then you can go. Again, in Germany, up to 1.2 million. And I think in the US is even more. I thought I heard about something 5 million. You can. Yeah, the SBA loan is 5 million. Up to 5 million. Germany is 1.2. And then after, you need to bring 10% or 15%, which is already high. In the USA, if you can get 5 million, it's again, it's, it's a good opportunity. Well, I think that there's there's still deposit requirements. They don't. I think it's up to a five million in equity value on the business. But I, I don't know. I sh- I should know, and I I don't. But it's it's larger than Germany's clearly. Larger. So basically, there's yeah. a, there's a possibility, and you have owners that grow the business, and when they are coming to the retirement, they don't invest so much in the business. They have less idea. They did a lot, and that's that's where actually young dynamic people can change. And even more, actually, you see, you see, when I took the man, I saw that we improved the prices pretty fast because they were not really negotiating. And I think on some uh, on some translators or some translation agencies, I reduced the price by 30% with two goals because it was never done before and we were doing a lot. So I really think that there are, there are opportunities you can change. You can change a lot. It was not true in all the, uh, all the translation agencies and not for everybody. But if you look into the details, People that are 60, 65, they have less, actually, they are less involved, I think, in those type of things. Sure. Sure. That's great, Cedric. Where can people find you online? Uh, I'm on LinkedIn. I'm on LinkedIn. Okay. So they, they can contact me. They can contact me there. They can contact me through the um, our company, too. Deman uh, uh, they can send me. They can send me an email. It goes through my, through my, through my team, but you're welcome to me. Okay. I'll be happy we'll link to both of those in the show notes. I'll be happy Go ahead. to share. I'd be happy to share some experience. Great. Cool. Well, thank you for sharing with me. This was a really, it's a really interesting story. Uh, and um, yeah, I love your advice of like, it, you, you would have started earlier if you had actually realized what the opportunity was earlier. It's true. It's really true. Great. Okay. Thank yeah. you, Cedric. Thank you very much. Take care. Bye-bye. 